The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. Friends, let me invite you as we open up God's Word together to Genesis 25. Genesis 25. You will most definitely want to open up your copy of God's Word with us this morning because uh, this is our final sermon in the, the series that we've been looking at in 2019 the faith of our father, the life of Abraham, and we're coming to a conclusion. And uh, fittingly so, Genesis 25 speaks to us about the death of Abraham. And uh, on the surface, it might seem like this text is nothing more than uh, genealogy inside of an obituary, but there is very, very much here for us. And uh, let me me share just briefly with you uh, a tradition that we have in the EPC at the General Assembly level. And something that we're going to share in today, actually. Uh, One of my favorite moments of the national gathering of the General Assembly is that the last thing that we do before we adjourn with the benediction is we have a a memorials and remembrance committee that reads the names of all the ruling and teaching elders across the EPC that have departed to go and be with Jesus over the past year since the last General Assembly. And every single one of those names is read and a reference to the church that they served. And those names are read interspersed with the verses of the hymn for all the saints. And that's a beautiful thing because the hymn is all about the remembrance of the faithful that have gone before us and we stand upon their shoulders as we look together to the Lord Jesus and we, we think of the triumph of their faith and we think that we are strengthened by their memory and I, I recall that to mind as one of the most moving aspects of the General Assembly meeting. Uh, and we'll be singing that hymn uh, following the sermon this morning. Uh, but it is that idea of those who we stand on their shoulders and remember their faithfulness and recall to mind their obedience and their courage and their strength that they drew from the Lord Jesus. And being in his presence, they enjoy the fullness of his joy. But we're not there yet. And we oftentimes need to be strengthened and encouraged. And we need boldness. And we need to have our wearied arms strengthened. And recalling to mind their faithfulness gives us the energy that we need to press on. And it is in that mindset that I want to look at Genesis 25. uh, Because we've been spending many months with Abraham now. And uh, we are leaving Abraham behind in this chapter. But I want us to, to think deeply about what we have learned from him. And what his life says to us as we consider the faithfulness of the saints who have gone before us and how we can be strengthened as well. So that's what our text is all about this morning. And so uh, something of a conclusion, I hope you'll settle into God's word with me this morning as we hear what he says to us. And so let us pray and then hear God's word together in Genesis 25. Our great God, how thankful we are to to be gathered together, to sit around the authority of your word today, to sit under its authority. We pray, Lord, that both the, the reading and the hearing and the preaching and the hearing of your word today would strengthen our weary souls and give us courage and boldness to press on. Lord, as your spirit carried Moses' pen to record these words for us, may that same spirit of you dwell upon us and rest upon our minds and upon our hearts 
that we might read and mark and learn and inwardly receive all that you would teach us today. For we pray it in the power of the name of the exalted Christ. Amen. And now hear God's word in Genesis chapter 25 and the first 11 verses. This is the word of God. Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah, and she bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan fathered Sheba and Dadan. The sons of Dadan were Ashurim, Letishurim, and Lehuman. The sons of Midian were Ephar, Epher, Hanok, Abida, and Elda. All these were the children of Keturah. Abraham gave all he had to Isaac. But to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts. And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac, eastward to the east country. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last And died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the the cave at Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah his wife. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at Beer Lahairoi. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever and ever. So may he write his eternal truth upon our hearts today, and I would encourage you to, to get your outline there in your bulletin and follow along in our text here in Genesis 25, because again, it might appear like just something of a genealogy inside of an obituary, but there is much richness here for us in Genesis 25. So we want to ask the question, what is it that Abraham's life teaches us? We've been spending uh, a full eight months looking at Abraham's narratives from Genesis 25 on, or Genesis 12 on into chapter 25. And so what is it all about? What is Abraham's life saying to us across the whole? And how can we draw strength and encouragement from it? Well, let us say, first of all, that Abraham was a man in covenant with God. Abraham was a man in covenant with God. As we've been looking at this story, we remember that the central reality to Abraham's story is the covenant promises that God has made to Abraham. And we have been repeating and rehearsing these promises week after week after week because they're so central to the story altogether. And you remember them. They are the promises of land, seed, and blessing. And as Abraham's life comes to a close, we think, has has God been faithful to his word? Has God been faithful to fulfill the promises to Abraham, the promises of land and seed and blessing? Have they been completely fulfilled? And the answer is yes, but also no. Has God been faithful to completely fulfill the Abrahamic promises? Yes and no. But really we should say yes, but also not yet. 
yes and not yet, because I hope if we've been learning something through this series is that the, the promises that God makes to Abraham are foundational for the whole promise of salvation that unfolds throughout the Old Testament and on into the New Testament that is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Because God's promises to Abraham were about more than the man Abraham himself. God's promises to Abraham were about what God was going to do through Abraham and on into the fullness of the ministry of Jesus Christ after Abraham is long gone. So there's a sense in which God's promises to Abraham are fulfilled in chapter 25, but there is also a sense in which we are still looking forward to what has not yet been fulfilled. And so what I want us to do is just think of each one of those promises briefly and ask, how has God been faithful to this promise so far and what is still yet to come relative to this promise? So the first, of course, is the promise of land. And you see there in your outline all the different times that God told Abraham, Abraham, I will surely give you this land. As early as chapter 12 through chapter 17 and onward, God has said to Abraham, this land will be your land. And he's been traveling in this land for over a hundred years. He was called out of his homeland back in chapter 12 to this land that God promised to give him. But you'll notice in chapter 25, verse 9, it says that Abraham is buried in the cave at Machpelah. That's the same cave that Abraham purchased back in chapter 23 to lay his beloved wife Sarah to rest in. And it's just one parcel of land with a field and a cave at the corner of the field that Abraham uses as a family burial plot that he himself is buried in. And he owns this land. But in all of the promised land of Canaan, Abraham only owns one field. And God has surely begun to fulfill the promise of land with this field, but there's still so much left to be fulfilled with regard to the promised land because Abraham just owns one piece. The promise of the land is still yet to be fulfilled because there is still a land that Abraham is going to inherit. And did you know, it's the exact same land that you and I will also inherit. The land that the Bible calls the new heavens and the new earth. You see, Abraham spent a hundred years traveling in Canaan, living in a tent. And when we think of a tent, we think of just a, a small camping tent, perhaps. But the tent that Abraham lived in, which most likely much larger, probably more like a circus tent that a large caravan could travel with. But the point was, is that was a mobile dwelling place. It wasn't a permanent dwelling place. And that's why when the book of Hebrews explains this promise of the land to us, it says that Abraham died in faith having received a portion of the promise, but looking forward. And what he was looking forward to, Hebrews 11 tells us, was to a city that has foundations. And that's significant because all of Abraham's life was lived in a tent that didn't have a foundation. It was mobile. He could pick it up and he could go. But a foundation signifies what? Permanence and strength, and a dwelling that will stay in place. 
Abraham, by faith, looked forward to the new heavens and new earth, to a heavenly city that has foundations, and it's the same city that you and I look forward to as well, a place of eternal dwelling place, where Abraham will be a citizen by faith, where God dwells in the midst of his people, and where all of God's people will be gathered together to dwell with him face to face one day for all eternity. But that's still yet to come. It's still yet to come now. And so, of course, it was still yet to come in Genesis 25. But it was God's promise. The second promise, land, seed. Secondly, seed, offspring, progeny, children. And it's really this promise of children that Genesis 25 is especially interested in, which is why you have all these details of the genealogy. We're told in verse 1 that Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. Now, you may be interested to know that that commentators and scholars are somewhat divided about at what point did Abraham take this woman as his wife? Was it before Sarah died or after Sarah died? Because remember, Sarah died back in chapter 23. But the question is, is Keturah a relationship to Abraham similar to what Hagar was, where Abraham had a concubine at the same time he had his wife or only after? They're divided on that. But the point is... That similar to his relationship with Hagar that produced Ishmael, Abraham had other children by Keturah. And their names are listed here in chapter 25. And the point of listing their names is not just so that you could be interested in genealogy, especially for who people who are interested in that. It's not just saying that. It's saying that God has certainly begun to fulfill his promise to Abraham that he would be the father of a multitude of nations. And actually, most of the names listed here are, represent regions of people who would re- relocate to the Arabian Peninsula and actually be the families that are responsible for the international spice trade. But the point is, is that Abraham is living into the reality of his name. His name means the father of nations. And God promised him that his children would be as the dust of the earth, the sand of the shore, the stars of the sky... And as Abraham dies, he has a multiplicity of offspring. And so in one sense, the promise is fulfilled. But in another sense, the promise of Abraham's offspring is looking forward not to multiple children, but to one person in particular. One child of Abraham, who is the true son of Abraham, the true seed of Abraham, who is actually, from Genesis chapter 3, the seed of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent, ultimately looking forward to the promise of Jesus Christ. And so when Abraham dies, yes, he has all these children, but there is still one child especially to come, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so these promises of land and seed and also blessing. God has promised and blessed Abraham through these many years. And as we've studied it, we see the great history of the covenant blessing that's been fulfilled in Abraham's life. But when Abraham dies, that doesn't end. Notice in verse 11, it says that after the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac. The next generation of the patriarchal narrative of the history of Israel. The covenant blessing, the covenant promises of God go on to the next generation. God's covenant promises were for Isaac. 
And it distinguishes Isaac from the other children. You see those details here? Because throughout this story, we have learned that Isaac is different than, say, Ishmael. Do you remember? Ishmael was sent away by Abraham because God's covenant promise was for Isaac. And he does the same thing to these other children as well. He loved the children. He provided for them. But verse 6 tells us that ultimately Abraham sent them away to the east, away from Isaac. Because Abraham understood the fact that God had promised that the covenant blessing would be for Isaac and not these other children. By God's sovereign grace, the covenant was to go through Isaac. Not because Abraham is playing favorites, but because he is obeying God's word. And that blessing, as God blessed Abraham, so he blessed Isaac, that blessing is still being poured out and still being fulfilled in those who are the children of Abraham, namely those who trust in Jesus Christ. And so this promise is still being fulfilled. And so we can say, as it relates to blessing, did God bless Abraham? Yes. Was there more blessing yet to come through Abraham? Yes. And so God's promises are already fulfilled and still to be fulfilled. But Abraham is a man in covenant with God, a covenant fulfilled and still being fulfilled in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the second thing that we should say about Abraham, on the other side of your outline, the second place, we want us to see that Abraham is a man who died with a living faith in God. Abraham died with a living faith in God. That is actually the main point of Genesis 25. The reality that Abraham dies. Death is, of course, a a reality. It's a harsh reality. It's a cold reality. But there is, next to the reality of death, the reality of Abraham's living and true hope. Look again at verses 7 and 8 where we read that After 175 years, Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man full of years. That should begin to change the reference spectrum of what you mean when you call somebody old, right? Abraham is a man of good old age, full of years. But you know what? This exact phrase, a good man full of years, God promised Abraham all the way back in chapter 15 that this would be the case. Back in chapter 15, God said to him, You will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. And there is in this something so fascinating. This really unique way of describing death that Abraham, it says is, at the end of verse 8, gathered to his people. That's a really unique phrase in the scriptures. It's a phrase that is used only ten times, and every time of the ten occurrences it's used, it's used in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, and it's the same phrase that the Bible uses to describe not only Abraham's death, but also the other patriarchs, Isaac and Jacob, but also Aaron and Moses. Very central figures in the story of the Old Testament. 
And people are always asked the question, what does it mean when the Bible says that Abraham is gathered to his people? And again, there's division on this. There's, a, there's an argument. And some people say, that's just the way the Bible describes burial. That Abraham is buried. But that wouldn't make sense because the burial description is actually in verse 9. The description of the physical act of burying Abraham is in verse 9. And so it wouldn't make sense to say gathered to his people and then also buried. What's more, Sarah is the only other person in the cave. Because Abraham purchased the cave for Sarah's burial plot. And so it wouldn't make sense to describe the cave as a burial plot of being gathered to his people because there are no other literal bodies in the tomb. So it isn't a reference just to burial and death. When the Bible says gathered to his people, it must mean more than just that. And if Abraham is gathered to his people, then it suggests that his people still exist in some way, doesn't it? That if he is able to be gathered to them, then they are a thing or a people to be gathered to. Meaning that they haven't passed on into eternal nothingness. You know, there are some people who believe that. It's called annihilationalism. The idea that when you die, that's it. It's nothing. Gone. You die and you're dead and that's nothing. But contrary to a view of annihilationalism is this idea that there is life. Life after death. An eternal life. Abraham is gathered to his people in some significant way. And that's important because Abraham believed in a sense of life after death. Because do you remember in chapter 22 when he believed that if he was going to slay Isaac, that God was going to raise him from the dead? Abraham believed in life after death. When we read that Abraham was, at the end of verse 8, gathered to his people, it's a lot like what David says in Psalm 139 when he describes the fact that God's presence is always with him. In Psalm 139, verse 8, it says, If I should make my bed in Sheol, then you are there. And what he means is, when I am laid in the grave, when my body goes to the abode of the dead, then Lord, your presence is still with me. I am not separated from you when I am laid in the tomb. When Abraham is gathered to his people, it means that he is welcomed into eternity and gathered to his God. It means eternal life. And you know, we don't build our, our, our whole view of eternal life and uh, post-death living and resurrection. We don't build that whole theology just from Genesis 25 verse 8. There's way more in the Bible that teaches us about this topic, but we do build something of it from Genesis 25 verse 8. That Abraham is gathered to his people in the sense of being gathered into the living fellowship of the redeemed who are alive though they have died. That means that Abraham is buried in his tomb. Just like so many people have been. Just like you and I one day will be as well. Awaiting that day when the dust will live again because the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will rise and Christ will say, Awake, O sleeper, and the light will shine on you. 
Abraham hasn't passed on into eternal ceaseless existence in terms of nothing. He's alive. We live though we die. But for now, Abraham is gathered to his people. Having lived in faith, Abraham dies in faith. And that's the only way to die too, by the way. To live in faith and die in faith. So what now? What now? Uh, if, if the book of Genesis had major sections, or if it was like a play and it had acts, act, there would be an act change here at the end of Genesis 25. Because Abraham's gone. And Abraham's been the center figure of the story. Now, I don't know if you're into this or not, but sports news was going crazy this past week because 29-year-old Andrew Luck retired. Totally unnerving the front office of the Indianapolis Colts. What are we going to do when our franchise quarterback just up and retires? And what's going to happen to the plan of God when the main character is gone? What happens to God's covenant? What happens to God's promises? The Indianapolis Colts are quite convinced that their season is probably sunk. Probably was going to be anyway. But what's going to happen? Is God's covenant of grace sunk because the main character dies? No, because for all the time that we've spent in Genesis, Abraham hasn't actually been the main character, has he? God's covenant with Abraham isn't ultimately about Abraham. It's ultimately about God himself. God is the main character of the story of Scripture. And so finally we want to see, not that Abraham is great, but that Abraham's God is great. Abraham's God is great. In verse 11, we read that after the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac. God is at work. God's plans are still unfolding, even as one generation comes to an end. Don't mistake the fact that Abraham is deeply significant in the storyline of Scripture. Abraham, as a figure, casts a big shadow over the whole Bible. In fact, four different places in the New Testament are consumed with the story of Abraham to explain much truth about the gospel. Abraham is important in Romans chapter 4 and Galatians chapter 2 and James chapter 2 and Hebrews chapter 11. Abraham is deeply significant. But the economy of God's salvation, the covenant of God's grace, doesn't rest on Abraham or Isaac or me or you or any one servant. The death of God's servants does not put God into a frenzy, wringing his hands wondering what he should do. The servants live and die and pass away and God's salvation goes forward. Because as we've been learning about Abraham all this year, we were really learning about Abraham's God, his covenant, his grace, his mercy, his kindness, his patience, his faithfulness. And Abraham's God is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and therefore our God as well. As we've learned of God's character, we have learned of God's faithfulness. We've been learning what it means to live by faith as Abraham did. And here we see that we're also able to die in faith because Abraham's story teaches us that as a Christian believer, you are able to trust 
an unknown future to a known God. The unknown future to an unknown God. The God of covenant grace. The triune God who calls together his saints like Abraham, like Isaac, like Jacob. Those saints who stand in a long line of faithfulness. And people of God, you are called to stand in that same line. To believe. To trust to live and walk by faith and then one day die by faith as well because we are traveling through this world as Abraham did, as pilgrims. Abraham's story should help us call to mind the remembrance of those faithful people who we stand on their shoulders and press on in their memory and in their honor looking at the same thing that they were looking at, the person of Jesus Christ They're your loved ones. They're my loved ones. They're the people that sat in these pews over the generations. The saints of God who trusted in him, who pressed on, even when it was hard. Even when it seemed like the future looked dark. Even when it seemed like there were plenty of reasons to not trust God. We're called to live by faith means that between our joys and our sorrows and our success and failures, our ups and our downs, we walk through this fallen world laying hold of the promises of God. Abraham lived to be 175 years old. I don't know if any of you are planning to live that old or not. Uh, I'm not, I hope. But Abraham never reached a point in 175 years when he could stop trusting God. You will never age to a point when trusting God isn't your first priority. And we live in this faith, looking ahead to this glorious reality. It's the same reality that Abraham looked to, the reality that's described in Revelation 21, when this world will be replaced by another world where God will dwell with his people And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes where death shall be no more nor mourning, nor crying, nor pain for the former things have passed away and he who is seated on the throne says, Behold, I make all things new. And it was this reality that the great Augustine spoke of when he said this, There we shall rest and see, see and love, love and praise Behold, what shall be in the end is what shall never end. Abraham calls us to live and die in faith. The saints call us to live and die in faith. Jesus Christ calls us to live and die in faith, trusting the covenant promises of a faithful God. And so, loved ones, press on. When you're weary... When you're tired, when it seems like the burdens of this life are far too great for you to carry, God is faithful. He is faithful and supplies all your needs. So as we prepare to hear the gospel again as it's proclaimed through the sufferer, hear these words again. Jesus says, all that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes I will never cast out. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them from my hand. We serve a faithful God. 
let us be faithful in response. Amen. Let us pray. Our great God, we give you our praise today for the long line of faithfulness that we stand in. May we be encouraged by grace today to press on, supply all that we need, and Lord, continue to show your faithfulness to us as we give you our hearts and our praise again. We pray in the power of Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.